Good morning. Thank you. I want to welcome you to worship this morning. Uh, we have people uh, joining us on the radio. Uh, there are worshipers that are online. Uh, those of you that are here, I appreciate you coming today. Please join me in our call to worship this morning. We gather for worship to be challenged and grow deeper in our faith. Fearful predictions are all around us. We come to worship the Lord, who is more than able. In the midst of shortages, God is enough. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he will make straight your paths. Do not fear. Honor the Lord with all that you have. We come to worship the God who is never late. In every crisis, it is an opportunity to trust in God. God is able to do above and beyond what we expect. Nothing is impossible with God's help. God says, fear not, I love you. We come to worship the God who is our provider. Lord, teach us to trust in you with all our heart. Let us come to the Lord in prayer. Merciful God, we praise you this morning for all of the blessings that you have given us. We thank you for your hand of provision, even when we are too weary to recognize it. And we thank you for your persistence in reminding us that you are in control. Thank you for loving us despite our human behavior and taking it a step further to loving us especially in our human behavior. Help us to always be amazed by your works. Whether it be sickness of the body, mind, or spirit, we trust in you to heal, guide, and protect. It is such a comfort to know that you go before us, beside us, and behind us as we navigate through these uncertain times. And now with the words you taught us to pray, we lift our voices to you, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's reading is from the book of Kings, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Now the prophet Elijah said to Ahab, the king of Israel, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're talking about Elijah in the wilderness today, and, and, and the wilderness often is, uh, I guess, a metaphor. I, I'd like us to think in terms of the metaphor of maybe you're a little bit lost and you don't have direction. Often the wilderness was someplace not real pleasant, and you didn't choose to go there, and it could relate to difficulties in our lives. And so, so as we go through the story with Elijah, kind of be open to, are you in the wilderness? Is somebody near you struggling in the wilderness? Uh, the wilderness is another word for times of difficulty and struggle. Uh, the nation of Israel had the misfortune of suffering under the leadership of a king called Ahab for 22 years. Uh, he, he reigned as one of the most evil kings in the history of God's people. During his reign, he instituted child sacrifice, and, and we're like, how, how would that happen? You know, and there, there would be idols set up and an altar with a fire, and a part of the worship sacrifice wasn't bringing your money or your gold, it was bringing your firstborn child and putting them in the fire. And the king invited people to do that. The Bible says King Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any before him. What a legacy. But did he care? He didn't seem to care. On top of that, uh, Ahab also married a princess named Jezebel. So we have Ahab and Jezebel. She was the daughter of a foreign king. It was an arranged marriage meant to be uh, some kind of political advantage. Uh, Maybe it would bring a layer of peace in the land. But along with the princess came her favorite idol, which was Baal. And Baal, if you remember anything about the story of Moses, the golden calf uh, was kind of the shape of this idol, and, and Baal worship plagued Moses as well. Well, it comes back uh, with the family or the entourage of the princess, and she uses her influence to get Ahab to use his influence and to write the check and put up all these worship stations and then invite the land to worship as she did. And so the Bible continues, thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord than all the other kings ahead of him, and God was angry. 
And God was also angry at the people of Israel for so easily going along with the king. You know, shouldn't somebody have known better? Shouldn't somebody have said, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this? But they didn't. They, they all said, okay, and they followed the lead of the king. They accepted his example, and he led them astray. So a time of suffering is at hand, and, and God sends Elijah to shake things up a little bit. And as I re- reflect a little bit on our last year of the pandemic, COVID has certainly shaken things up a bit for us. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, there's, there's a pretty direct line of cause and effect, and Elijah announces God is going to do this. Today, it's not quite that easy it's not that clear. I certainly don't hear God saying, oh, this calamity is because of this sin. And so I'm not going there. But in this time, in this story, that is what the the writers of the Bible say. Uh, Ahab was evil, and he led the people to do evil. And so God's judgment comes in the form of a natural disaster. It's going to stop raining. Elijah confronts the king. He, he's sent to the king. He's pretty courageous. Uh, God has uh, spoken through him in the past, and he's pretty confident, and, and he asks for permission to approach the throne, and Ahab is, is kind of scoffing, uh, you know, I, I don't respect this person. I don't care about his station, and Elijah steps up, and he says, O king, uh, the Lord has seen your evil and God's going to judge you in the whole land. It's not going to rain until I say so. That's pretty arrogant. Comes across as pretty prideful, but it's true. And uh, then God says to Elijah, you need to hide. I'm going to hide you out. I'm going to protect you. I have this ravine. Go, um, and I'm going to cause the birds, the ravens, to bring you bread and food every day. Now, it could seem like uh, God is, is giving his prophet a little siesta, a little R&R, this all-expenses-paid vacation out in the, the woods. There's no telephone, no neighbors, no visitors. Elijah's kind of a loner, so that's okay. You know, he doesn't mind being by himself. He's kind of odd as well, and so he ends up by himself a lot. He doesn't get invited to parties, you know, that type of thing, because he's a little odd. But I don't know that um, this was such a restful vacation. And there's five things in these, these little verses that, that I want to unpack a little bit and, and say maybe Elijah is also in the wilderness because he needs to learn something too. It's not just time for a break, time for a rest. So the first thing I want you to notice is that Elijah is hiding He's running. And, and the last time you played hide-and-seek, do you remember the feeling, kind of the buzz? You, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety because somebody's looking for you, and until they find you, you're just kind of on alert. And it only lasts 30 minutes or, or less, depending on how well you hide. But there's a time limit. But Elijah is playing hide-and-seek with the king, and it's going to last three and a half years. It's not just a game, because if he gets found, all the posters in town say, dead or alive, Elijah the prophet. You know, he can't run to the store, he can't go back in for supplies, uh, he can't show his face really anywhere, 
And so there's this anxiety factor of, I don't know if the king's got spies looking close or if they're miles away. I don't know if, if tomorrow's the day that somebody stumbles into my camp and I get hauled away. Uh, Elijah is going to hide for three and a half years. It doesn't rain. All the complaints come to the king. The king ups the reward. He sends out more supplies, spies. And so the king is getting a lot of heat. Elijah is to blame because he's the one that said, it's not going to rain until I say so. And so Ahab, if we find Elijah, we're going to make him say, turn on the rain again. That, that's probably what's happening in the palace. It's not a vacation. Second thing is, uh, not only was Elijah alone, but he's in a ravine, not a resort. Now, I don't know the last time you tried to park a camper in a ravine, but I live at the top of a ravine, and, and the top of the ravine is okay. But when you go down in the ravine, and, and my ravine, uh, there's a lot of people that use the trail at the bottom to walk their dogs. Um, but, but this time of the year, as the leaves have filled in, this week, pretty hot and sticky. That kind of goes down into the ravine and it stays. In the evening, this, this morning, you know, it's cooled off, but the ravine is still kind of sticky and damp and, and soggy. My ravine's pretty soggy. I don't know that Elijah's ravine was all that mucky or muddy. There was water. The bottom of my ravine has gnats. And from now on, the spiders spread out to catch the gnats and all the other bugs. And, and unless somebody goes through there before you, you get all that when you walk. We don't walk the ravine a lot right now. So, so Elijah's not at a resort. He's in a ravine. Not only can you not park a camper, you know, like this in a ravine, you probably have a hard time pitching a tent on the slide like this. And and you don't want to pitch a tent because you can see a tent. It kind of sticks out. So maybe he's just enjoying the fresh air, except it's probably not so fresh. Remember, there's, it's muggy, it's sticky, there's insects and stuff at the bottom of the ravine. Not a restful vacation. Um, I think Elijah might have taken God's directive as, I'm going to get a little R&R and maybe catch up on my prayers and my reflection, and, and my meditation. But what, what, what if this is a time, and God's lesson for him is we, we need to get rid of the pride. His proclamation before the king was accurate. It's not going to rain until I say so. But it wasn't necessarily correct. It wasn't Elijah that's going to say so. It's God that's going to say so. And so maybe God's taken him to task for Elijah. You know, we, we need to work on this. And, but Elijah's not given in necessarily. And so this extended time of prayer and meditation maybe is a little more daily wrestling. And a couple months in, maybe it's getting old and, and Elijah is saying, God, I've been your prophet for 25 years. Why couldn't I have had a, an armed bodyguard in town? You know, why do we have to hide? You know, maybe he starts to question a little bit, and, and maybe there's moments he's kind of talking back to God in the bottom of the gorge. And maybe he's questioning this piece of God's plan. And he's protesting. And God's saying, humble yourself 
before me. That's not an easy conversation, especially if it lasts for three years. So the next part of God's plan that, you know, food is going to come, bread's going to come by, by morning and meat at night, maybe sounds kind of cute. Uh, God's got all these little ravens, and, and they're going to deliver daily what, what Elijah needs. And, and we know that, um, you know, they're, they're maybe kind of mischievous, and maybe they played with him. Maybe they gave him something to look forward to, uh, gave him a little company. You know, ravens are smart. But they, they do steal things, you know, shiny things, you know, they collect things. That's kind of what they're known for. And maybe that's not something that Elijah enjoyed. But, but there is one characteristic about, about ravens that, that maybe isn't on our radar, that Elijah's Jewish. And the Jews had this list of, of unclean things. And ravens are on the list. And so everything a raven touches is also unclean, and it's not an arbitrary list. The ravens are on the list because they are unclean, because they do disgusting things. And they were known for, you know, hiding their food in cow pies. I mean, how disgusting is that? And so every piece of bread that's delivered, Elijah's like, where was your beak? You know, every time the, the meat comes is like, well, where have your mouths been? You know, did he, did he say some really, really long prayers for the food before he ate it? Like, God, how can you be doing this to me? Thank you. You know, I mean, I don't know what he prayed, but they're scavengers, and they eat dead things. They, they prey on rotten garbage and rodents. doesn't say what kind of meat was delivered, but um, you, you got ravens every day, every morning, every night, ravens. Here they come, you know, a, a couple here and a couple there. And, and there's one other thing I want you to know about their habits. Um, in the colder climates, ravens tuck their food into cow pies that are fresh so it doesn't freeze. Now, I don't know that that's the context here in Israel, but... Um, when, when cow pies sit there long enough, they dry out, and, and maybe the ravens flip them over because they really like the little beetles that live under the cow pie. Just, just put that together with bread in the morning, meat at night. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to provide for your needs. I wonder if Elijah's stomach is having this war of the germs because there's one other thing that happens just after he arrived at his ravine, not a resort, the ravine, the drought begins and, and the water source that wasn't much starts to change. And so you got a little stream in the bottom of the ravine and, and when the flow gets less, what happens to the temperature? It goes up. And, and when the temperature of the water goes up, maybe algae starts to grow, when the last verse in the reading here says, and the brook ceased, right before it ceased, there's maybe a year of it, it's there, but it's not running anymore. And so you got organisms living in the water, but that's all he has. Bread from the beaks of the ravens, meat from the mouth of the ravens, and then you got water at the bottom of the puddle. And, and so the war inside is, is pretty tough. 
on Elijah. So, so this three-year period, a lesson in humility, um, I have to wonder if Elijah's ever saying, Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, couldn't you have done a little better than this? It's really hard to picnic in the bottom of the ravine. I was hoping for something a little better. I'm your best prophet. Humility, Elijah. And sometimes God says the same to us. A little humility, please. As we're stuck, as we're kind of kicking against circumstances, God says, a little more humility, please. And it's also a time of trust. You know, the daily thing, he has no idea how regular these, these ravens are going to be. And what if they get distracted and forget? What if they eat the bread themselves? And then when it all dries up, maybe God says, go into town. And maybe he's hoping for a Hilton. Okay, I got this ravine thing. I'm trusting you, God. I'm humble. Can we have the Hilton now for the next step of the plan? And yet God sends him to a small town, to the smallest house, a widow with a son. And as he arrives at the door and knocks and says, God wants you to meet my knees and cook my food, she's looking at the last portion of flour, the last biscuit, last pancake, whatever she's going to make, and then she's going to give up and die. And Elijah's probably like, God, this is a hard plan. So this, this Old Testament story gives us some lessons that maybe would fit with our wilderness journeys as well. Your wilderness might be related to stuff in the pandemic, restrictions and the challenges of last year. Your, your wilderness stuff might be totally different. Your wilderness might be the challenge that comes with chemo and radiation. Or, or the effect of aging as your body loses some of its strength. Our, our wilderness times are certainly not of our own choosing. We never seem to sign up for, I'd like the steeper trail, I'd like the harder journey. We, we don't sign up for that. And so whatever circumstances come to you that, that are difficult, that include struggle, I would say that's a part of this, this wilderness metaphor that, that Scripture gives us through the story here of Elijah. And it comes to us every now and then, and God offers to us the same curriculum that Elijah was offered, a lesson in humility, and basically it's a confession, I guess I'm not in charge, oh God, I, I guess I'm simply at the mercy of the one who is in charge, and there's a lesson in trust, and, and it's acknowledging God has the plan. I don't necessarily have the plan. And at that point, the invitation that came to Elijah and the invitation that comes to you is God saying, will you wait on me? And Scripture uses that phrase a lot, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Something happens in us as we wait, not as we charge. There is something different that happens as we wait and as we give up our impatience and we settle into God's plan, it's often a plan that goes much slower than we do. Is there an amen? You know, that, I mean, that's why we're kicking. That's why we're stewing is because we're stuck or 
circumstances just aren't going according to our plan. And so God says, I have the plan. And I read this this week, and I would share this with you, that uh, somebody wrote, the path to spiritual maturity certainly includes wilderness times. It said wilderness moments, but most of my wilderness is like a year. You know, it's a season. It's not a day or an hour. It's a hard time that just doesn't pass right away. So when these wilderness times come, look for what is God teaching me? What is God doing around me? Is God trying to humble me, to test me? He's certainly trying to shape me and teach me. And if faith means anything, it's in those moments that God invites us to look up, look to the Lord, and look for help from His hand. I want to end with just a, a practical connection here. Last week, we, we had communion with these little cups, and, and I see faces every now and then when I say, take the body of Christ, and you get this little wafer, and and I'll confess that the cup I picked didn't have a wafer, but you were all looking at yours and didn't notice that I didn't have to eat that. Um, but nobody says, oh, give me, can I have double wafers? You know, and so I just want to say the next time we complain about bread, think of Elijah. Um, next time you complain about any bread, anywhere, think about Elijah. Let's pray. God, you, you promised to watch over us and to care for us. And just like in Elijah's day, you come to us with these words, I will, I will protect you, I will care for you, but I will do it on my terms, in my time, and by my methods. And Lord, sometimes that just doesn't quite fit what we expect. But we hear your grace reflected in the words of Jesus, who in the New Testament invited us to do this, to consider the ravens. They do not sow nor reap. They have no storerooms or barns, and yet, Lord, you feed them. And Jesus says, know this, you are so much more valuable than birds. Will not God meet your needs now? How much more will God meet your needs? And it's not that, God, you don't care for the birds. You do care for the birds, and you want us to know that you also will care for us, because we are your children. You've created us, and, and you promised to be our guide, and, and when we lose our way, help us to find your hand and to walk by faith, step by step, with you at our side. Amen. Go now with, with God as your guide, your teacher, and your uh, spirit of, of grace and power. Amen.